Well, good morning to you all. It is great to see you, whether you're joining us from our Esplanade campus or right here in Oak Brook or out there online someplace. It is terrific to be able to begin with you today a series of messages that asks the question, why? Some uh, weeks back, we crowdsourced responses to the simple question, what would you like to ask God? And we got a huge response from uh, many different ages and stages of life, and we gathered all of the responses and began to look for themes. We found four or five or six really dominant themes in the questions that came into us. And so we boiled it down to the five most popular questions, and we're going to be exploring them over the course of these next weeks beginning today. And the very first of the questions is, in a sense, the most logical one. It has to do with even understanding if there's anybody out there to ask the question to. And so the very first question we want to start with is, is God, why believe that you even exist? Why believe and trust that there really is a God at all? It's a question I think a lot of people ask. Even people who sometimes sit in churches find themselves pondering that question. To the mind of certain skeptical people, believing in God is a little bit like, well, trusting in an imaginary friend. It seems like a somewhat harmless thing when you're young. It can be a comforting thought to believe that there's some greater, stronger, brighter power that is concerned about your life and companioning you on life's journey. But certainly we're meant to grow up and stand on our own in time, many people think. Uh, Atheist philosopher Daniel Dennett refers to people who have grown up, who've learned to stand on their own two feet without belief in God as brights. These are the bright people supposedly in contrast to those who are the dims or the dimwits who still hold on to what Dennett's more famous friend Richard Dawkins has called the God delusion. Dawkins maintains that the higher one's intelligence, the better one's education, the less one is likely to be religious or to hold beliefs at all. So What do you make of that? Uh, How do you think about these things yourself? Do you find yourself resonating a bit more with this stuff than maybe you feel comfortable admitting uh, in the place where you're sitting right now? Do you find these uh, ways of thinking about God and life troubling or disturbing to you? Uh, How are you doing with the whole subject even at this very minute? Well, I'm, I'm certainly not the brightest bulb in the pack. Uh, I will confess that. I've got a lot that I don't know and a lot that I am still learning. But the question might kick up for some of you as to why I believe what I believe at all. Why, after running into all of the articulate skepticism that I did as a student at places like Yale and Princeton, or why, after all of the tragedies that have befallen the family I grew up in or the questions that I've had to confront for myself or all of the 
uh, religious ugliness that I frankly have seen over the course of life, why is it that I'm still standing up here and saying with conviction, I believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. As I try and communicate each and every week and in lots of different settings, a major reason for my own personal belief is because I think God has revealed himself to me. Uh, I think he has shown the reality of his existence to me. Supremely in the life of Jesus, in the uncommon, exceptional life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe he has revealed himself through uh, the historic church, through the people of Israel, through the illumination of, of the Bible. But because those are the conventional answers, because those are the kinds of responses which religious people, Christian people, uh, often give to the question of why believe, I want to focus instead today, if I may, on four additional reasons to believe that God exists. And and I hope that uh, some of these will be helpful to you as you uh, wrestle through these issues, or if you're not even wrestling at all, as you help others that you know in your life uh, think about coming to their own answer to this very, very uh, important question. The first uh, reason that I believe in God is because of the hunger that human hearts have for him. Uh, Now, now that may seem like a strange statement, so let me qualify it. Uh, There has not arisen in any human society, save for the soul-suppressing and ultimately uh, failed experiment of communism, there has not arisen in any other society Um, a a culture that is not expressed in various kinds of ways, a a religious hunger, a a reaching after communion with God. In no culture across the entire span of history, uh, outside of communism, have we found an irreligious people. Have we found a people that are not reaching out for God? And I think that is very telling. As the great Oxford scholar C.S. Lewis once observed, there really, if you think about it, there is no fundamental appetite we have. Uh, The appetite for for, for, uh, food or water or sex, for example. There's just no appetite that we have on the basic, most basic level that does not ultimately have an object that exists in reality. We don't make up the idea of food to satiate our, our um, dietary fantasies, right? We have hunger because food actually exists, because we're made to be filled with this stuff. And the same, I think, is true of our spiritual appetite. As King Solomon once wrote, God has set eternity in the human heart. God has put something in us that is not complete, actually, until it is in relationship and is being filled by uh, something of eternity. Augustine of Hippo, one of the most brilliant human minds ever to have moved across this earth, said way back in the 5th century, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. There's a God-shaped hole in human beings. 
And the hunger we have to know him is one of the most substantial evidences that God actually exists. So I believe in God. One of the reasons I believe in God is because of this hunger that's in me, that's in so many of the people that I work with and walk with and see all across the span of human history. I believe in God, secondly, because we experience his effects. Now, I I can't claim to have encountered God with all of my senses in the full depth that I may want. I am one of those people who would be absolutely thrilled if, as I'm standing here today, all of a sudden Jesus appears next to me in the flesh, reaches out, puts his arm around me, gives me a quick hug and says, thanks, Dan, I'll take over from here. (laughs) I would be happy with that. I'd gladly surrender the pulpit. But I do have these experiences of the effects of his presence that I don't know how to explain easily any other way. I sometimes will hear words forming in my brain. I very often experience this even when I'm writing sermons. I have no idea what I'm going to say, and then it comes to me, what it is that I think I am meant to say. And it feels like it's God speaking to me. It's Christ Uh, his voice, his heart that's addressing me in some way. Other times I, I, I see God in the beauty and the majesty and the intricacy of the creation and it just ripples through me like a rapture sometimes. I just feel like I'm encountering the holy there. There are moments when I have felt and I have been touched and comforted by a presence unseen. I'm all by myself and, and all of a sudden, I sense I am not alone and that he is there with me, this quiet presence. There have been days when I've tested and I've tasted and I've smelled the, the, the flavor and the savor of life. And I've thought to myself, this is more than just here. This is somehow transcendent. This comes from someplace beyond. This comes from someone very, very Good. Helen Keller is a name some of you may know. How many of you have ever heard the name Helen Keller? For those who don't know, she was an extraordinarily famous individual of an earlier era who was born uh, completely, uh, rather lost her vision and her her, uh, hearing capacity uh, before the age of two. She could receive no articulate communication from anyone outside of her for the whole first portion of her life. She was completely locked away, in a sense, in a cave by herself. Years later, she wrote a letter to Phillips Brooks, the famous pastor of that time, and she told him that she had always known about God, even before she had any words. Even before she could hear or even speak, she had known about God. Even before she could call God anything, she knew God was there. In her darkness, in her isolation, she knew she wasn't alone. Someone was there with her. She felt his love. And when she finally received the gift of language and she heard about God, she said, I already knew him. I already knew him and he me. All of these kinds of stories, and I've heard more than a few of them over the years, 
doesn't stop me from wishing I had even more proof. I'm a little like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that approached Jesus one day, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Show me even more. I'd be thrilled if today God decided enough skepticism. I'm going to rearrange the Milky Way this evening. I am going to shape out of the stars of the sky the words, I am here. So that nobody, with an exclamation point, so that nobody ever has any doubt. Or I'm going to put my hand out. I'm going to manifest uh, a physical hand in the sky and I'm just going to lift the sun up into place. And then I'm going to bring it back down again. I'm going to do that for a month. I'd be thrilled if God did that. But I also know myself well enough to suspect that it's entirely possible that after seeing about a year of that kind of thing, I would probably stop noticing it. I I, I might even start to be thinking again, you know, it's just, it's a bizarre coincidence. You know, it's, it's amazing. You know, it was really remarkable at first, but now I see it was just sort of well, it was sort of like the face of Mary in the side of the, uh, in the, in the face of the cappuccino, right? It just sort of is an amazing kind of coincidence. How many of us, I wonder, uh, once when we were children, marveled before the beauty and the design and the perfection of life and have now lost the ability to see it that way anymore? How many times, I wonder, <coughs> Has, has God given us signs of his actual presence, his perfect providence, and we have grown dim-witted, actually, about uh, his presence. And, and I wonder sometimes, is everything that is real uh, always apprehended with the, one of the five senses? Do you, do you, do you, how many of you have smelled microwaves? No, I don't think so. I think you smelled the popcorn. I think you smell the effect of of the microwaves. Uh, We don't see television transmissions, but we do encounter the images that they produce. Uh, We can't taste or touch or even box love directly. But love's effects are, are among the most touching and delicious and powerful thing about life. Jesus once said, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with the Spirit, said Jesus. God's Spirit, His presence, His working is like the wind in some strange sense. You will notice it by its effects more often than anything else. And I have seen the effects of God's work in life. I've seen it change my heart. I mean, I've shared this with you in the past. I was an immensely hard-hearted, bitter guy, not inclined to give slack to anybody else at one point in my journey. And I don't know how. I I can only explain it by the hand of God in my own heart that I now feel a love for people like I feel. And even for my enemies, I recognize only he could do that in me. I've seen the addictive patterns of dozens and dozens of people I know altered profoundly only after they finally opened themselves up to what 
they called the higher power. They could could not change themselves on their own until they opened themselves up to the power of God. Where have you, I wonder, in your own life beheld that influence, seen those effects? Where have you seen the sail flapping, the boat moving as it were when you could not actually see the wind? I also believe in God, thirdly, because the creation proclaims its creator. The creation is some of the most tangible evidence that we have, maybe the most tangible evidence we have of a creator. In the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So that no one can say, well, I have no evidence that God exists. Now, all of us know people, maybe we have been such people who claim to have looked very closely at the evidence and just found it wanting. Uh, Or just having found it adding up to a different kind of conclusion. There are lots of of very articulate atheists who say, hey, it just it spontaneously arose. It, 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 it was just a cause and effect thing that happened there. You know, we don't need any kind of God to explain it. But it's important to know that there are also numerous, extremely brilliant people, extraordinarily educated, thoughtful, insightful scientists and many others who have looked at the very same evidence and have concluded differently that they see the natural world as inexplicable without the intervention of of a supremely intelligent and good kind of power in his book the intelligent universe cambridge astronomer sir fred hoyle writes as we discover more and more about the awesome complexity of life, it is apparent that its chances of originating by accident are so minute that they can be completely ruled out. I don't mean that, 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 that the existence of God is just an alternative theory. Hoyle says, this brilliant Cambridge scholar says, no, I mean, we can rule out the possibility that it happened without this other presence and power at work in these things. Princeton University biologist Dr. Edwin Conklin says, the probability of life originating from accident is comparable to the probability of the unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing factory. (laughs) I mean, I suppose it could happen. Boom! And all of the, the papers, the, shred, the shreds of the confetti fall together and just form the unabridged dictionary. It's the math that confounds so many of these brilliant people as, the, as, they, as they look at the conditions necessary that had to have been present and then working again and again and again to form life as we know it. So who is suffering from delusion? 
who is really crazy, who is really irrational or in denial when they claim there is no God. One of Richard Dawkins' most famous associates was a a fellow by the name of Antony Flew. Uh, Antony Flew was a renowned Oxford University graduate and professor. He was the holder of the prestigious John Locke uh, Prize in Mental Philosophy. And the London Times called him, and I quote, one of the most renowned atheists of the past half century, someone whose papers and lectures have formed the bedrock of unbelief for its many adherents. Uh, What's fascinating is that several years ago, Anthony Flew confessed that he had begun to seriously question his former unbelief, that he was having a crisis of faith in his unbelief. Since the beginning of my philosophical life, says Flew, I have followed the policy of Plato's Socrates, and that is, I believe we must follow the argument wherever it leads. And if I am shown to be wrong, well, okay. So I was wrong. And that's what Flew came to say about his former atheism, that he was wrong, that there is a God, that he is the one that underlies and is responsible for the life we live. And Flew says that his conversion to belief in a creator God emerged out of the close contact he was having with with a man named Gerald Schroeder, an Israeli physicist, and with the science writer Roy Abraham Varghese, author of a wonderful book I highly commend called The Wonder of the World. And the brilliant professor finally became convinced that there is a fine-tuning to the universe. There is a a fine-tuning to the development of life that is simply impossible to explain without the agency of God. Now, in his book, The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins writes, I quote, any God capable of designing a universe carefully tuned to lead to our evolution must be a supremely complex and improbable entity that needs an even bigger explanation than the one he is supposed to provide in the Bible. I'm amazed that a guy as bright as Richard Dawkins could say that. Uh, Because what he's basically saying is God can't exist because he's beyond our comprehension. Beyond the little tiny little picture that the Bible gives us of it. It makes me think Richard Dawkins has not really spent a lot of time with the Bible. Because this idea that God is beyond our comprehension is like one of the big ideas of the Bible. It's kind of like the basic idea about God. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As I've said to you in the past, if there is a God responsible for all of this, and I believe he is, then we are like ants compared to him trying to contemplate he who is the inventor of particle physics. And that our categories are insufficient should not surprise us. One of the most intelligent guys 
alive today is a, a man by the name of Alvin Plantinga, who won the, the, the Templeton uh, Prize recently. And Plantinga uh, is a philosopher, and, and he writes this. The very practice of science today requires that one reject the idea of anything beyond our understanding of natural causes. Let me say that one more time. And he, he, he thinks this is very strange. The very practice of science today requires that one reject the idea of anything beyond our understanding of natural causes ever happening. And then he goes on and says, you know, this argument is sort of like the drunk who insisted on looking for his lost car keys only under the street light on the grounds that the light was better there. Why is it so hard for some very intelligent people to believe that the key of truth might actually be found where they are not looking? Where they have not bothered to look or not chosen to look. It seems only rational to admit the possibility of entire realms of reality and dimensions of existence and means of operation that are simply beyond our knowledge now, beyond even perhaps our mental capacity to apprehend. It was only a short while ago that we didn't know the microbial world existed. It was not that long ago that we had no idea that the subatomic universe existed, and yet now we see that these things are responsible for so much of our lives. So it's one thing to say that we don't yet have the scientific instrumentation that we need to register the existence of the supernatural dimension like the one that the Bible posits, but it seems to me at least less than altogether bright to conclude that because we lack the tools and the understanding, this being couldn't possibly exist. This kind of Anti-theism seems to me a much greater leap of faith than the reasonable proposition that there is one in whom we live and move and have our being. So let me close, if I may, with our original question. Why believe you exist, God? Why should we believe that? I can imagine God responding, did you not meet my son? Was it, not, was it not enough when I came in the flesh to your species and did wonders and showed intelligence and grace and laid out my life and overcame death? Was this not sufficient for you? And, and, and he might, out of compassion, say, okay, okay then let me give you some further reasons for confident belief in me. First, believe in me because of the hunger human beings have for me throughout the ages. Believe in me, secondly, because of my redemptive effects in your life and the life of others all throughout history. Believe in me because this universe and this life that you see around you are finally inexplicable without me. There must be, you see, an unmoved prime mover, an uncaused first cause. It must be 
Surely your rationality, that much I've given you, must be able to apprehend this. And if that still isn't enough, then fourthly, believe ironically because so many of your good minds are willing to go to such great lengths to try to disprove me. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Because Paul makes the point this way in his letter to the Romans. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Although they had an awareness, they had some sense of the reality of God, they neither glorified him as God, giving him this preeminent role and the glory he deserves, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, he said. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Can I make a confession to you before uh, we go? Um, most of you, or at least those of you who hang around here for a while, you know that I was an atheist for the early part of my life. I, I did not believe in this stuff. I thought religion and belief in God was for... Uh, for, for people afraid of handling life on its own terms. I, I believe that with all my heart. I caused scandal in my own family because of how real religious I was and how mocking I, uh, mockingly I treated religious belief. And, and, and I told myself when I was an atheist that I had been very objective in my consideration of the evidence for God. I told myself I was being really rational and exhaustive in my analysis of the subject and my dismissal of this whole religiosity thing altogether. I told myself that. Uh, but the truth is, underneath it all, things I would never hardly even say to myself, I was not being exhaustive. I was not doing the full research. I wasn't reading all of the books on this subject written by very brilliant theistic minds. I was not analyzing it for a very simple reason. I did not want God to exist. True story. I did not want him to exist. Why? Why? Because I had that job myself. I had that sewn up. I wanted to be. I enjoyed being the ultimate authority in my own life. I liked being master of my own universe, accountable to no one but myself. I liked worshiping and serving created things. I liked these, this uh, way of living and the existence of a real God, uh, of a God with a capital G and in the singular, would have been a seriously inconvenient truth to me in my young adult years. So how about you or the people you talk with? Because what you believe about God may actually say more about how you want to position yourself than it says anything else. Or maybe you're just, if you're a skeptic, maybe you're just on a good investigative journey. You just don't have enough information yet to, to, to take the leap and say, yes, there's a God. Maybe you're just an honest inquirer. Bless you for that. Stay on that journey. Stay on that journey. 
just don't be lazy, okay? Don't lie to yourself that you're on the journey if you're not really earnestly pursuing the truth. Because the good news I want to leave with you as you head out today is from the very lips of Jesus himself. Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus. And if you seek, you will find. And you will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Please pray with me. God, we do not want to believe in mere myths and fairy tales. As delightful as they are, as illuminating as they can be of bigger realities, Lord, we want to know and follow the truth. So in our pursuit of the truth, please spur us on when we're being lazy. Keep us honestly using the minds we've been given to discern the fullness of reality. Reveal to us, God, the glory of who you are and of what you have done and of what you are doing and of what you still want to do in us and through us and in this world. That finding you who are the truth, that we may realize that at last we are home. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.